Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. And you make it as a virtual MC. Today's podcast, we find out. I chat to Courtney Stanley, who has transitioned from being an MC in live events to being a super successful MC for virtual events. Let's hear what Courtney has to say about this new, wonderful world, the virtual experience. Courtney, welcome to the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. It is great to have you here today. Uh, morning for you and evening for me. Hi, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on. This is super exciting and I can't wait to dig in. Awesome. So, okay, let's start a little bit with how you got into speaking. Now, you kind of started off in the meetings industry and only got into speaking a little bit later. But I often ask people, did they start out, uh, you know, as a teenager? Were you into acting? What's your first memory of getting up on a stage? Great question, Richard. So I actually grew up as a pastor's daughter, and I was like that overachiever in the church environment. So the first experience I ever had on a stage was through the church's drama club. And I loved it. I thought it was my calling. I thought it was super fun. And then when I left that, you know, bubble of a community and started trying out for, you know, community plays and stuff like that, I never got picked. So I would say, (laughs) yeah, my auditions didn't go so well. I don't know that I'm a great auditioner, um, but my acting career stopped the moment that I stepped outside of our little Presbyterian church in a very small town in Michigan. So I don't know that I ever had big dreams of of taking the stage as an actor after that time. So I just a a little bit of background um, about my professional history. I come from the events, meetings, hospitality, travel and tourism industry. So I actually studied international tourism and business hospitality and leadership studies, as well as event management in university. And that's when I actually was even really introduced to this field of work and was just so blown away. And actually, ironically, this you'll, I think, find this humorous, Richard, I fell in love with the field of tourism and events, because I was having a conversation with a college friend who was studying event management and tourism. And she was telling me that she was on her way to do an internship in Ireland. Oh, okay. Excellent. (laughs) Right. At a castle. And she was going to be planning events. And I was like, 
I'm sorry, what did you say? You're going to be spending your time as a professional, a young professional in a castle in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Why am I not doing that? So that's kind of where I first even heard about this being a field that I could go into. And and I was really drawn to the events sector specifically. So I started out as a meeting planner working for a third-party events agency, working with corporate and association clients, and transitioned over actually to the event technology side. I realized that I don't really care enough about all of the details to be a really, really effective planner. So I wanted to step into more of the the marketing side of things, the PR side of things. And that's when I went into the, the sector of event technology instead. Let's run through this planner role a little bit, right? We'll get back to speaking in a sec because it's an often overlooked role. What I've noticed from people who do it is people who are really good at running events and, and being an event planner can keep a hundred things in their head at the same time and react in real time. It's an amazing skill, super hard job. But when you say you were a meeting planner, what is that? It is a type A's person's dream. So if you're somebody who is super organized and you like to be in charge and delegate and plan ahead, and this is the perfect role for you. So the role of a meeting planner, or it could also be referred to as a conference organizer and event planner. This person is essentially responsible for the coming together of different types of people in a professional space. So for me, this meant that I was working with uh, different corporations. So let's say, you know, a, a company that creates sporting equipment. And our job was to create the best of the best possible reunion for all of their sales employees for the year to plan from start to finish what the day would look like for these people in terms of providing them with education about whatever it was they needed to learn about. So it could be new products. It could be the changes that were happening in the field. It was was also our responsibility to create fun. So to create experiences where they were able to really have engaging conversations and and laugh and make memories. And those really are the key components of creating any sort of effective gathering. So it's education, it's networking, and then of course, it's business exchange. So Oftentimes, people confuse the role of maybe a special events planner who maybe focuses on you know weddings and parties with the role of a meeting planner or a conference organizer who focuses more on the strategic objectives of a business and how you can accomplish those strategic objectives or vision in the setting of a face-to-face meeting or event experience. That is a super stressful job. Right. <laughs> It seems to be something that people do for maybe 10 or 15 years max. Yeah, it's interesting because burnout is a real thing for this type of profession. Actually, if you look at the Forbes list of top 10 most stressful jobs, the the title or position of event coordinator or manager winds up on this list almost every year because essentially your responsibility is to ensure that as many people as possible, especially stakeholders, are having an exceptional time in you know some sort of experience from the moment that they wake up until the moment that they go to sleep. So your responsibility is really to be a strategic planner and also troubleshooter if things go wrong. And at the end of the day, if things do go wrong while the event is happening, it's going to be your fault. So yeah. <laughs> And you control nothing. Exactly. So there's, you know, Murphy's law of what 
can go wrong, will go wrong. And then even more than that. So being a meeting professional, you truly have to always have a plan A, B, C, D. And stress is definitely part of the job. I think that you're right, Richard, when you say that people might do this for 10 or 15 years and then get exhausted, or they hire people under them to help carry some of that stress that they have on their shoulders. And then they become more of that decision maker instead of the person executing on the ground. What can speakers do to make the life of a meeting planner easier? Honestly, just relax. Being easy to work with as a speaker. So Uh that's what I do now full time is I am a keynote speaker. I run and facilitate workshops. I'm also an event MC. As a speaker, it's so easy to just a strategic partner in this person's conference to provide them with the assurance that you're responsible, you're going to get the job done, you're on board with whatever their objectives are. So if they want something that's going to be, you know, really impactful and inspiring for the audience, you understand that it's your job to take that objective and bring it to life on stage. It's so important to understand the pain points of a meeting professional. So if their ultimate goal is to get let's say, you know, the event surveys back after the conference ends, their ultimate goal is for good feedback, because what they do is they report the data, the feedback from the audience to their stakeholders. So was this a valuable experience? Did it accomplish our objectives? And one of those objectives or questions on that survey is going to be, would you attend this again? Was the education Uh worthwhile? Did it align with our objectives? So as a speaker, it's important for you to have those conversations to understand how you can actually make sure that they do meet the needs of the audience and get those good results. Yeah. And you mentioned the MC role as well, which you've kind of moved into. So we talk to a lot of speakers and we, we talk a lot about how to be a good speaker and prepare and stage presence and all that good stuff and dealing with audiences. And it's a whole new world now that everything has gone virtual. But meeting planners must be very dependent on a good MC, especially if there's a, like a, a big agenda and loads of speakers and lots of stuff happening. Yes. So it's interesting, Richard, because the role of the MC has changed drastically from an in-person event to a virtual event experience. So if you were to ask somebody, you know, what is the role of an event MC just in general? I think most people yeah. would say, well, they're, you know, they're the hype person. They're the the person that gets the audience excited. You know, they crack some jokes here and there. They maybe introduce speakers, but they're there kind of as the in-between. They're there to to provide entertainment and to provide some sort of filler in between speakers. Now, when we talk about a virtual experience, oh my gosh, the role of an event (laughs) MC is like, it's just totally different. So hard. Oh my goodness. Virtual (laughs) MC. I've done MC and it's super tough. (laughs) I can't even imagine virtual. Yeah, it's it's a totally different world because not only are you, you know, in front of a camera, you're in front of an audience, which is the same as if you were on stage at an in-person event. But the real difference is that you are also operating behind the scenes. So at least 50% of your role is keeping an eye on the conversation that's happening behind the scenes. So what are the organizers asking of you? What are they needing? What are they talking about? Have the speakers logged on to the platform? Are they having technical issues? So even though there are event professionals that are behind the scenes helping to troubleshoot those issues, you're also aware of it as the MC. So you're seeing these messages come up behind closed doors and you have to, if things are 
running behind. You have to make sure that you're stretching things and being flexible in front of the audience to the point where they don't actually know that anything is changing behind the scenes. So it's almost like playing two roles. It's like you are the production manager behind the stage, making sure everything is on time and everything is going well, but you're also still that hype person. And going a step further, engagement is totally different in a virtual world. If you're playing the role of an MC at an in-person event, you have the opportunity to read social cues from the event staff, from other speakers that you're introducing, also from the audience. Yes, which is super useful, right? Totally, totally. So a lot of communication and feedback that you get from an audience when you're on stage comes directly from the people. So you don't have someone necessarily in your ear being like, oh, you know, it seems like they're getting a little sleepy. You look at the audience and you feel it and you adjust and move forward. That way they're actually having a good experience and they're finding value in whatever you're saying. However, the big difference in virtual is that you can't see the audience. So whether you're a speaker or you're an MC, you have to be super aware of what's happening on the platform. So Are people using the chat box? Are they asking questions? You can see the number of attendees. So is it going up? Is it staying the same? Is it dropping? So it's important to keep an eye on that stuff because you still have to be able to pivot in that moment and and change whatever you're doing so that it continues to be a good experience for the audience. Yeah. It just strikes me as something that's so difficult. Well, first of all, do you use humor? I mean, that's a tough one to get right. Yeah. Yes, I do use humor. I feel like I just kind of stick to what I'm comfortable with, you know, in terms of my personality. But I mean, I definitely stay appropriate too. So especially in today's day and age, and not being able to read those social cues in person, Mm -hmm. you do have to tread lightly in certain topics. So things like politics, I'm not going to make jokes about politics, especially if it's an international (laughs) conference, right? So like, The things that you wouldn't talk about on a first date, like politics, religion, all of those things. um, Yeah, I would say rule of of thumb is apply those same guidelines. We have it so (laughs) much easier here in in Ireland. I don't know what it is, whether it's a cultural difference between the the US and and Europe, maybe. But um, we don't discuss politics at all, really. Only in very specific situations would you ever mention politics in any way shape or form. I actually envy you a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, it makes a lot. I mean, that's what I find when, when, I, when I visited the States. <laughs> and when, if I ever will again, oh my goodness, it's just awful. But um, people are so willing to talk about politics. And I don't know, is that a, actually a good reflection on American democracy or, or what? But it does make things tough, mm-hmm. especially when you're, you're not a citizen. You're like, I have opinions, but they're not valid because I can't vote. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> And now with virtual, you're doing this in front of international audiences, because another thing I've noticed, I'm sure you have as well, is that the audiences are much more international now because they can be. Yeah, which I think is a huge silver lining of the virtual experience. So I know it's been a very challenging transition for a lot of meeting professionals and event planners to understand the technology side of transitioning to virtual. It's overwhelming, to be totally honest. There are a lot of platforms out there offering a lot of the same and or different things. So it can be difficult switching over to virtual for sure. But I think that what 
really has been a huge benefit is the fact that you reach so many more people when you're virtual. There are no barriers of getting on a plane, being able to afford to travel, um, having the time to to include travel in in your business uh, trip that you have to attend a conference or something like that. So I do think that there is a huge benefit to expanding your audience because not only are you you know, attracting more interest, more customers, you're reaching more attendees, but you're also able to generate more diverse conversations and and garner greater, more different ideas from people that maybe would never have been involved or in that room in the first place had it been in person. I think we're starting to see that as as one of the hidden benefits. Uh, I mean, when when all of this stuff hits and things started to go, go crazy. When the first wave of virtual events happened, and they were pretty bad, you know, I, I think we, <laughs> my experience of them anyway, uh, you know, I don't know, people were still figuring out the tech, that type of stuff. I mean, they're, they're starting to get better now, but definitely this expanded audience thing is, is fabulous. I agree, Richard. I think that the virtual event experience has changed, and I think that it has improved. One of the things that stands out to me as something that was a little bit messy and disorganized in the beginning even looking back at the month of May when everybody and their mother was trying to go virtual and it was just like a series of back-to-back virtual events that you could sign up for, which, you know, hats off. I think that that's, that's great that people were taking the initiative and, and putting out, you know, content quickly because they wanted people to have access to that education and that experience. But one of the messier things that, that I noticed, uh, especially for one conference that I spoke at was, Oh my gosh, it was so confusing as a speaker knowing what on earth I was supposed to be clicking. And that sounds so simple, but there were, you know, like hour long introductions of how to how to use the technology as a speaker, but I felt like the most basic questions of where do I go to log in and once I'm logged in what do I click? Like that's all I oh, need yeah. to know. Oh, 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 this is so this is a big topic, right? And actually because you have background in tech uh, you, you have a really super interesting perspective because you've done it. You've done it all, right? You've done the meeting planning in person. You have a perspective on meeting planning in virtual. You've have experience in tech, and now you do the MC, which is kind of a almost production of the event. So I remember uh, about two years ago giving a virtual presentation, and nobody told me that my slides were not being shared. Oh no, no, Richard! I did the whole thing one hour, a technical presentation which required slides to the intro screen. Mm. The audience kind of just dropped away, right? And I was like, oh, what's going on here? Wow, right? So, I mean, and I'm a techie. <laughs> I'm a coder. Oh. I know this stuff. Yeah, it was pretty painful. I can totally empathize with this thing of, you know, the speakers are trying, what do I click on? I mean, a lot of people have got used to Zoom now. That's cool. But, you know, Zoom is just one type of platform. There's a whole bunch of specialist virtual webinar platforms, that sort of thing. So maybe just walk us through what the state of the tech is at the moment. What is working and what isn't? You don't have to name names. I think we're more interested in, as a speaker, what am I going to experience? and What should the industry do? How do companies make it better? Yeah, that's a great question. 
So what I have seen is that there has truly been an explosion of different types of platforms that you can use as uh, an event professional, as a speaker. If you want something, it's probably out there at this point. So I have to give a lot of credit to these, these tech companies that have truly evolved and evolved quickly and listened to the feedback that they were getting from their users in order to improve the experience. Because I think it actually has become quite competitive in the virtual landscape in terms of the technology that is available. But what I will say that I think can improve from the event tech provider perspective is the way that technology is explained to your audience or to your buyers. So what I keep hearing from event professionals over and over again and from speakers too is I don't know what to use and I don't really know the differences uh-huh. between X, Y, and Z and you know what what type of support will I really have? So I actually just started working with an organization as their event MC. And one of the selling points that I was able to, or one of the, I guess, values that I was able to provide to them when pitching my services was talking about my background in event tech and how I've spent years educating audiences on how to really optimize and implement event technology into your event. So it doesn't feel like it's an extra add-on, headache, stressful type of situation, but it's something that actually improves the attendee experience. And I think that having that background is also helpful in providing me with a, a user experience perspective. So it's a little bit easier for me to go to a provider and say, hey, you know, I'm not getting it or, you know, my clients aren't getting it. Can you just give us a document that's a step-by-step of how to use this product in this way? So I think one of the opportunities that providers have right now is breaking it down and frankly, dumbing down the technology and creating documents and educational webinars and whatever it takes to really easily explain the tech. Because aside from technology, meeting professionals are already stressed out people. They've got so much on their plate. So technology completely just paralyzes them in a lot of situations. And the easier that you can make it for these people to feel comfortable and supported with the tech, the better their experience is going to be. And the better the speaker and the audience's experience is going to be too. Yeah. It seems like the industry is kind of focusing on using Zoom as the basic standard. Mm Mm-hmm. And frankly, I mean, I've, uh, you know, having used a bunch of platforms and having um, delivered webinars and been on panels on a bunch of different platforms, you can do a lot better than Zoom. But you're absolutely right. Some of the interfaces and the user experiences as a result are pretty complicated, especially on the speaker MC end of things. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think people are leaning toward using platforms like Zoom because it's comfortable. Honestly, yeah, I think it. that, they know it. yeah, yeah, it's comfortable. They've used it at least a couple times. They generally know how it works. If they only have to click a couple more buttons to figure out how to create a webinar instead of a meeting, then, you know, maybe they'll choose that path. But I, I couldn't agree more that there are other platforms that have really been thoughtful in thinking about a real true live event experience. So not a meeting experience, um, you know, with 10 people, but a real true live event and all of the different components that go into creating an event experience. So things like exhibitors and trade shows and, um, you know, different overlapping sessions and multiple speakers, and it can be a very chaotic experience. So it's, it's important to make sure that the provider that you choose isn't necessarily the most comfortable, but it's the most effective in terms of achieving whatever objectives you have for that event. 
how should virtual events be structured, right? So if someone is listening to this and they are planning to run mini conference or a webinar, or they, they had previously run a conference. I mean, in my previous company, we used to run a three-day conference. And now they're thinking of going virtual. How should they be structured? Or, you know, you see people doing, it's going to be two full days on Zoom. You see people saying it's going to be over the next six weeks and it's two hours a, a day each week. Or people doing it as half. I mean, what's the, what have you seen people doing and what actually works? I've seen people do a lot of different things. Um, exactly what you were saying, where you know there's been a conference that's stretched over the period of two weeks, where it's just two hours a day. I've seen conferences that literally run from the moment you take your first sip of coffee until you have to make dinner for your family at night. I think the most important thing when considering the structure or format of your conference is thinking about who your audience is. So first and foremost, your audience is made up of human beings, which means that our attention span is not going to be super impressive. And because everybody, for the most part, is working from home right now, there are going to be a lot more distractions than if they were sitting in an office or actually attending in person. So in my personal opinion, from the different types of events that I've seen, truly, I think the most effective way to keep an audience is to keep it short. Even if it's just, you know, a couple days of just a couple hours a day, or if you do, you know, one day and you just have three hours of really compelling content, it's almost too much when you give people 5,000 options to join because... For example, there's a conference that's actually going on right now, and it's it spans over, I think, four or five days. And it runs from just the wee early hours of the morning up until the evening. And what I have found is that even just myself, there are too many options for me to choose from. And in order to actually know what's going on and what sessions are even airing, I have to constantly be checking in. Do I want to attend this one? Do I not want to attend this one? And it, it gets to a point where I feel like I have other things to do. Yeah. But yeah. if it were to be just, okay, we're doing it one day, it's going to be a couple hours of really phenomenal content, then I know what's going on. And as a user, I can say, perfect, I'll block my calendar for those couple hours, I can get work done at a different time, and that's it. So I'm finding that the, the more simple formats are more effective and the attendance is higher than if it's stretched or there are too many options for people to choose from. Yeah. So we're talking bite-sized. We're talking maybe reduce the number of tracks. Yes. Spread it out over a couple of weeks more. Well, it's interesting. A friend of mine actually runs a, an event technology production company. Uh, and she was telling me the other, the other day that one of her clients wanted to not change her agenda at all from the in-person experience to when transitioning to virtual. And she had mm. 800 speakers. 800 wow. speakers. Oh, goodness. That is too much. That's unreal. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. So I think people just have to rethink. What does the average person sitting at home, what is reasonable for them to participate in and, and what's going to work with their schedule? And that would just, that would be my best advice. Is virtual MC now a job, do you think? And that's what you're doing, right? So, oh, yeah. Is it a job and is it here to stay? 
It's definitely a job right now. I would say that I actually, in the different areas of services that I provide, so as a keynote speaker, as a board facilitator, as an event MC, I think that the the event MC side of my business has by far done the best in terms of people needing those services right now. So it's actually interesting because conferences that maybe didn't need an MC or you know had the CEO helping to transition things or whatever it was, they're now realizing, and I think this is a really positive thing, that it's so important to have somebody who professionally spends their time understanding how to transition events in a virtual world. So it's it's just completely different. So I would say, first and foremost, yes, there is definitely a job for a virtual event MC right now. Now, in terms of looking forward, I think that there will be a role for a virtual event MC if events go hybrid. By hybrid, I mean that they're both an in-person and virtual experience. So there's live streaming that's happening. However, I think that in the future, looking at even a little bit further down the road, I don't know that a virtual event MC will be necessary if they have an in-person event MC that can easily just be, you know, recorded and posted online later or live streamed. I do think that hybrid events are here to stay. So if that is the trend moving forward, then I think that there will be a role for the event MC. But if people go back to just in-person, then no, I don't think that that virtual role is necessary. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, you can imagine a scenario where the even in a hybrid event where the, the, the virtual MC is kind of like uh, the anchor on TV news or something. Totally. And they're coordinating things in that way. And that scenario, you have two MCs because the, the, the person who's doing the, the live MCing is, that's a totally different game. Yes. You need to be on stage. There's no way you can be handling the, the virtual end of things. No, I, I agree. And I think that what could very easily happen with a virtual audience if you do a hybrid experience. Everybody on site is going to get wrapped up in that on site world. But essentially, you're you're going to need two teams of people. So you have your on site team, and then you have your virtual team. And I think that the virtual team does require an MC because it would be way too easy to have the virtual audience be forgotten, and then they feel that they feel like they're they're not you know, engaged. They're not a part of it. It's not an inclusive experience. And then they fall off the radar and don't sign up again. And then that, you know, hurts the reach of your business or your event. So I totally agree, Richard. I think that in the world of hybrid, there will be an in-person event MC and there will be a virtual event MC. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting to see what happens. You know who I like? Um, You know, SpaceX, the rocket company, Mm -hmm. they do virtual events every time they launch a rocket. Yep. And they do it really, really well. I mean, they have been doing because it has to be virtual. Right. But even then, I mean, there's people sort of nearby and live or whatever. They've always done it really well. That's what I want to check out, actually, just for that model where there's like an anchor person on the virtual side who kind of pulls it all together for people. Cool. Okay. So we're going to see you on our screens and we're going to see you in person. And it's going to be interesting to see which one, which one wins or which one ends up being the place to be over the next... I don't know, three years, five years, right? (laughs) The whole new industry. I know. Yeah, the industry is, um, it's definitely inevitable, but it will evolve after this year. I mean, it already has, you know, in a lot of ways. But I think that there is that sense of, of just wanting to get back to face to face. And I think that the face to face experience is 
absolutely invaluable. I don't oh, yeah. think that that anything really can being in person and getting to know people and being inspired by someone who's standing in front of you. I think those are things that people love and will absolutely come back. But I think that the value and the benefits that come with virtual event experiences are here to stay. I think it's great that the industry is, in, is evolving in a way that is actually sustainable for the future. Courtney, this has been so much fun uh, and really insightful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. This was absolutely my pleasure. And I had a great time chatting with you, Richard. So thanks so much for having me on. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com slash speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward.